This is the Misdirected Mark Podcast, a podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willard for letting us use his music on our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. And welcome to the 38th episode of Misdirected Mark Plays. Tonight we will discuss red herrings in your tabletop role-playing games. But first, my name is Jerry. My name is Phil. Um, Chris. And I almost jumped Chris and said, I am old man Logan before he said It Chris. was a misdirection. <laughs> but um So where are we going tonight? Uh, the dining room? Uh, at first we said we were going to go to the garage. Uh, yeah, I thought I was going to have to wing it in the workshop. And then we had a discussion of taking it to the study. But those were all fake leads. Because <laughs> tonight we're going to gather around the table in the dining room and hash our ideas about misdirection and red herrings in tabletop role-playing games. All right, so time to ask our resident panda to tell us what the heck is a red herring. Behold, you are in the presence of Definition Panda. All right, so the red herring. Something intended to distract attention from the real problem. So, no, I was going to make a joke about my childhood trauma, but skip it. Let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about it in terms. I've used a number of red herrings to get through to my adult years. Okay. But really, like what we're talking about here is a red herring, again, is a distraction. It's often used in mysteries and thrillers as kind of a lead that makes you think that the story or the person who did it or whatever um, is one thing, but actually turns out to be another. This, you know, is a tool you can use in role-playing games. I'm going to preface this by I'm not a huge fan of this, so I, I'm going to tread lightly in this episode because I have a very mostly like do it, but do it really carefully because you can fuck this up. You can. But why do they work in media better than they often work in role-playing games? Sure, because in I mean in media everything is a scripted out, mm-hmm. right? So you have total control in media when you put out a red herring and when you want to cash it in and like have them reveal it. Also, you're writing the character so they don't go off and do like forty minutes of table planning on your red herring because you're in control of the character as you're writing it. But a role playing table is spontaneous, and like when you throw a piece of actionable information on the table whether it's a distraction or not, players will do shit with it. And depending on your table, sometimes they will consume a lot of time obsessing over it. It's also a thing because the GM controls what the player's point of view is in a lot of things. And when you use a red herring, if you use it incorrectly, you will lose the player's trust. So, yeah. And we'll, I think we're going to cleave into this a little deeper, but if you are, if you're red herring, is because you have messed with the player's senses. That is, yes, that is one thing. If your red herring is just an actual object, like a matchbook or something on the ground that leads them in another direction, you have not messed with their senses. Correct. It's just a matchbook with a clue that isn't going to go anywhere. And I think there's a difference when we talk about that. There's a difference between those two types of red herrings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's even a difference between how the matchbook is presented and what its purpose is. We'll get into that later. Yeah, we can get deeper into that. All right. Before we move on to more, though, with red herrings in an effort to misdirect things from the normal standard format show, what is another show on Misdirected Mark Productions, Bob? We've got a little show called Thacko with Advantage, which I highly recommend. 
Angie and Jared do this show, and they love talking about RPGs and D&D. They do. Together, they share insights into the games they're running in the campaign journal, and then in the DM's workshop, they tackle a variety of topics that affect the game. They're going to talk anyway, so they might as well record it, right? Mm-hmm. I figure that's a good idea. Maybe if you listen to them, you'll even pick up an ancient D&D factoid about a previous edition of the game that you didn't know. Even it might be from me here. You're a radio announcer guy. What, what the hell are you doing here, radio announcer guy? I just decided to stop in for a second. I'm leaving now. Bye-bye. Is he off to go pick up a five-cent paper? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Time travels wherever he feels like going. They were uh, talking about, in their most recent episode, campaigns that they were planning on running and how they think about that, which I'm actually kind of curious. I'm a... I'm a divert us for a hot second right here maybe this should be an off-the-cuff topic but one answer do you have a plan do you ever plan on the next campaign that you're gonna run while you're still running the current one sometimes okay what about you you don't run games <laughs> what about you all the time all the time i do also like i always have an idea for a campaign in my head all right cool we'll talk about that in off the cuff sometime i think it'd be interesting all right let's move on with the show so red herrings I don't think they're necessarily a bad thing i know me and phil had it out for about a month about this i mean not really had it out right like there was a Red herrings are stupid. I'm like, I think they can be used. And that's where all this, this whole episode comes from that sure. idea. I think Jerry also disagreed with me intensely about this too. Like red herrings are dumb. I'm like, all right, like you guys can think that. We discussed it during one of the other advice <laughs> columns. And that's why I started taking notes on what we were talking about. Probably. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. And I, my more nuanced version of that is what I normally will say is like, you can really fuck up this. You this really technique. can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So first thing, why should you use them? I will throw a few things out there. One layer of obfuscation like i think that is a good reason to use a red herring because sometimes you want people to think about things two time sync is on there but it's not really a time sync it's that uh you get to make an actual choice and try to deduce a thing and if you choose wrong it takes time away from your timer assuming there's a timer in the game assuming there's a timer in the game sure right i think the one of the best places to use a red herring is to allow for the adversary if there's an adversary that is like working against the players in a mystery of some sort to delay and show that the adversary is clever and how they are clever when trying to divert players from doing things. Yeah, I think that's a pretty solid one. That That is showing expertise or showing mm-hmm. power kind of thing. I agree. It's like, man, they planted this bomb, but like, it's not really the actual thing. Like, if I'm going to example for a second, like, oh, they planted a bomb, but they really just planted the bomb that's a red herring, which if you stop it, you save a bunch of people, but they really managed to pull off the thing they were trying to pull off anyway. Die Hard 3. He plants a bomb in the school Mm -hmm. and they're running all over the city looking for the bomb in the school. And when you finally get to the point where they're trying to disarm the bomb, it's not a bomb. The bomb is on the boat. Surprise. Mm -hmm. I will also mention uh, the great movie Heat. Oh, yeah. There's a moment where the police think that they've got the jump on the bad guys and they go out to the docks only to find out that the bad guys forced them out into the open so that they could see who their opposition was. Get intel. And when he realizes it, he's like, we are dealing with some real professionals here. Like, we just got outed by, you know, by the bad guys. Smart, right? Yeah, and it it does that thing that you just said, which it, it, it shows you in the movie, this crew is not amateurs. This crew is a really exceptional crew that they just got the jump on these robbery homicide guys. Shows about the adversary. Yep. I think that is probably the best place to use a red yep. herring. Also, anywhere where I can make a heat reference. Sure. Like, let's, yeah, well, why not? Fucking um, great movie. Another, another, and my, my last point is, I think they can be used to explore the B story or future plots in the game, um, especially if there's no timer. I like that. Like, oh, here's a red herring, because it doesn't, it's a misdirection. It doesn't have anything to do with what's going on right now, but it, when it rears its head later, then it feels like it was less of a waste of a time. 
it was in that moment, but it wasn't later. I mean, and I think that has to do with cashing in on like what happens when you pursue the red herring. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about timing in a second, but the thing with all red herrings is you have to discover they're a red herring. You do. Right. So if you make the discovery pointless, it feels pointless. If you make the discovery have another either an alternate meaning, you know, something else happens, whatever, then in player mind, the red herring is like, well, that clue didn't pan out for the mystery, but like we made a cool contact or we discovered a job that we can do later, dot, 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 whatever. Or we got into a cool combat because, you know, somebody came to kick our ass. Those things wind up being as a player less like, oh, the GM's just fucking with us mm-hmm. and more like, oh, well, we didn't do the main thing, but like we did a cool thing. Yeah, I, th- I think the thing that you said that I think is important is it can't be pointless to me. A time sink type situation with a timer is not pointless because like you're like, shit, I just no, lost absolutely. a resource, right? Like that that increases tension. Yep. 100%. So there there you go with that. Does anybody else have any other thoughts about why to use them before I move on to how to use them? Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Let's move on to how to use them. Let's talk about timing. I think timing the red herring is, if you want to get it right without screwing things up, it's very important. So I don't think you should ever take more than a scene or two to determine that you're dealing with a red herring. Like if you have to follow a red herring for an entire session, you've done messed up. Yes. I will say that oh, yeah. I think that's to be in scale with the timer that you're using. Sure. So if your timer is like, months years or whatever and your session leads you on a you know mini quest that eventually turns out to be a red herring or whatever i I don't think it's terrible if your timer is like this shit's gonna go off in like another session and it takes you a half of this session to discover it yeah that's a problem if you spend more than one session on something it turns out to be a red herring as a player i'm pissed 100 percent right off the bat i am fine with it as long as the story that was told surrounding the red herring was worthwhile and enjoyable. Yes. Okay. That's what I'm I'll saying, right? If it's point, again, we said red herrings can't be pointless, Correct. right? So if we just start with, if you make your red herring pointless, I don't care if you tell it to me in a scene again, pointless, meaning time is not an essence and nothing meaningful comes out of the scene. If you tell it to me in a scene, I'm still kind of annoyed that like, well, what the fuck are we doing with it? Pointless also needs a better definition. No, I, I think, Pointless makes sense. Pointless means it doesn't do anything to further the game in any way, in any significant way. Sure. And we can split that out to advances the main plot, creates a secondary plot, is an enjoyable scene, provides a resource, right? If it doesn't do any of those things, if you literally just go and are like, uh, you track it down and it turns out that that guy's just a banker. Yeah. Like there's like done. There's zero resolution to it or anything like that. Just nothing. Yeah, that dick move. I, I will say in a comparable way, right? There was once a Pathfinder adventure, and I will, I will never not be angry about this adventure, where I think we spent 10 minutes trying to break down a door because we failed a bunch of strength checks, only to find out it was a stock room with no fucking items that we could take. Why are we spending 10 minutes making checks on a locked door when there's literally nothing? Now, there's no timer to this adventure or anything. It just... It is a completely pointless fucking encounter. Same thing is true with red herrings, right? It, it just pointless. Okay. So, you know, guys, you know, I've been in a, in a campaign where multiple times we chased down a lead, ended up in an encounter, only to find out that that encounter was a red herring so the villain could pull off X. And this is that the villain is one step ahead of the player showing 
after the first time it happened, the well, second time, it, the second, so the, the second time it happened, was that pointless or not? Because once again, it's showing how brilliant the villain is. But at that point, I'm just like, I got, I it. got questions before. Yeah. So like, this is a bad gamer story. I'm going to let Phil go first, but I have questions about yes, the situation. Yes. I, I'm just going to say the f- simple fact that you said the first, this is the first time it happened. Like, I think it's fine if you do that like once and you're like, oh, look, you've established that this guy is my, you know, this guy is, um, what's his face to mastermind. He's Moriarty Moriarty to your homes, right? That's great. If you just keep doing it, right, that's bad writing. So is that still pointless or not? No, let me ask the question. Now I have to ask some, I have to ask a question about this. Was there a chance for your group to realize that the second time was a red herring or not. I have no idea. So if you don't know, then, then you probably didn't have a chance to figure it out. We knew that there was something else going on, but we were led to believe that this was the more important thing to do. And then found out well, that there you go. Again, That's my point right there. Like yeah. you were led to believe that it was more important. Mm-hmm. That means you didn't have a real chance to figure out that it was not a thing that you needed to deal with. Yeah. That, that right there is bad writing. Now, if you have a chance, like bad guy shows that they're clever. Mm-hmm. If you can't figure out that bad guy is screwing you over again the second time based on the first time, then the game master has made a mistake. And, if, and I'll tack onto it. If you asked the game master, hey, we got duped that last time. Can we check to make sure this isn't? And the game master's like, no, no, it seems legit. Like no role, no check. That's bad. That's bad game mastering. Yeah. On top of bad yeah. writing. Yeah. I think it was, I think it was a comedy. I think it was really more more bad writing because at that time we were we were we were playing a pre written adventure, and so there was definitely a way that the way the adventure was supposed to go. This is the this is so the set fire to the Louvre thing you, that I've talked you about. You were answering all of your own questions yeah. here, like yeah. it's bad written. We can't. You can't. Like this stuff has to be used in certain ways, and if you don't use them right, just like. Like if I don't use my paragraph or my setups or my payoffs in right yeah. ways in any kind of story, it just comes off poorly. So my, my, my question was showing that the villain was once again a step ahead of us. Was that pointless or not? No, not at all. Because it, as long as you had a chance. Okay. Because then you're like, and then, and then the reward for that should be like, it'll be even harder to dupe you guys the next time. Yeah. If now, you end up getting it three, four times. Yeah, keep going. You're like, that's like, that's like the same beat structure over and over again too. That's like, mm-hmm. it's bad GMing. Now think about, I'm going to say this thing and think about this and think about this as a player. If I'm game mastering that game and I have my, my mastermind, mm-hmm. call him the mastermind, throw out the thing that's a red herring so we can pull off some other thing and you fall for it the first time. Okay. I give you some sort of modifier or role to figure out that as long as you ask the question, then you can suss it out. It happens to you again. I increase the modifier. We are now no longer living in pointless. We're homing in on the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Now, that is the right way to pull that off, I think. That is one of the right ways to pull that off, I sure. think. Sure. I, I would also say that um, multiple exposures not only makes it easier to understand, but you start to pick up his MO. So you actually can, In if we were playing something like in Cortex, mm-hmm. I might, the second or third time around, be like, you now have an asset. Correct. Like, you're on to their shit. Yeah, whatever the mechanic is, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, in Cortex, it's easy because it's just a trait that keeps getting bigger yep. and bigger. Yep. In any other game, it's just a modifier that gets bigger or like a track that is like you will eventually track down the mastermind as long as you start understanding him. That's the criminal minds methodology, right? Yes. Yeah. The more that you understand the bad guy that you're chasing, mm-hmm. the easier it is to eventually then catch them. Yeah, you can't catch you can't catch the bad guy in criminal minds till you understand the psychology of the bad guy. So like the string of 
I don't want, they're kind of like red herrings, right? But they're still crimes that you were stopping, right? Like they're still bad things that you were stopping. And they're yes. not pointless because they're driving you closer to catching the mastermind. Correct. So that is how you would set up a campaign that way. I think and make it successful. Mm -hmm. I'd have to do it to see if it works right, but that is my theory. Sure. Okay. Makes sense? Yeah. Okay. That was my question. I'm glad you guys answered that That answered that question. <laughs> That's a fun question to, to just pop up. I'm glad that you yeah. asked the question. But that actually goes to how to use them. Like it narrows down yeah. the field. Well, narrowing down the field, right? So I want to establish two things as sure. we go into this. There are two things we've kind of discussed right now. We, we've talked time to discover red herring mm -hmm. and what happens when you discover it. Yes. Sure. Okay. Those because those two things are important, right? If you're doing if you're doing red herrings without taking those two things into consideration is where you're probably going to fail with this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. OK, because the second time it happened, we came out of it feeling like we made the wrong choice and didn't feel like we were any closer to the, we, we yeah. knew what we knew what the villain was trying to do. Oh, the villain was trying to distract us so they could free this demon. OK, sure. But it didn't feel like our choice was a good choice. And you felt like your choice wasn't informed, wasn't informed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, you and, didn't feel and, like and, the heroes and, and you didn't were. accomplish anything. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, all yeah. of the things that we just described for that fix. Yeah. Fixes all of the things that yes. you were saying. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. You need to accomplish something. Um, how to use them narrowing down the field. Now I, I throw this out there for things like parlor mysteries, but mm -hmm. actually for the thing that we're talking about with the meta plot of the yeah. mastermind works for that too. Mm -hmm. If your red herring track downs, narrow down the field of who could possibly be the the culprit i think it's a pretty good red herring now i will tack on to that i mean i actually just saw um and this is a, this is a piece of media but it works for any parlor parlor mystery that you're thinking about too uh, a death in venice oh yeah or a haunting in venice yep. sorry mm -hmm. a haunting in venice he narrows down it's an agatha christie mm -hmm. styled story with perot he narrows down the field by eliminating subjects based on the, the clues and the things about them. Mm -hmm. And each one of those people is essentially a red herring. Like they're not the bad guy, but there is progress, mm -hmm. right? It is eliminating a suspect so that we can get to another suspect. Yeah. And I think that is perfectly fine as, as like red herrings to tack onto that, to make them effective, make sure that those red herrings have interesting stories to go with them. So at least you're entertained while you're doing it. Yep. Yes. hundred percent. I will also say that, there's, as I'm expanding my thought on this, there's an interesting um, idea between character knowledge and player knowledge mm -hmm. that a red herring for the character might not be terrible if it turns out to be interesting for the player. Sometimes we play our characters to make bad decisions and get into trouble. Sure. But if we're playing at a table and we're playing like a parlor mystery, and it's a red herring and my character is no closer to the truth. But I, as a player now know that Bob is the killer. Mm -hmm. And then later Bob's like, come take a walk with me. And I'm like, okay. Like, yes. Right. Like this is a horrible idea, but yeah, my, I'm going to do it. Right. My character doesn't know because he didn't advance. But I, as the player now know that I'm walking my character into danger slash excitement. That may also work as a red herring. Like is, and I guess what I'm trying to say is, the pointless part may not have to be only for the character. Correct. Could be for the player. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. I think at the end of the day, what we're talking about is there should be something fun about the red herring. 
Or yes. at the very least. Yeah. Don't say fun. fun is, Don't say fun. fun. Is Look, I'm with in, you. It in, should be in, fun in, for in, the individual. In, in, interesting which, or entertaining about that. Yeah. All of those things are yes. loaded words, man. Like, yes, you were saying the right thing. Fun, interesting, whatever that player enjoys. Pay off. It should pay off. Thank if, you. If you come out of the red herring going, I fucking hate this game. That's, <laughs> well, that's a bad thing. Or our characters are incompetent. Yes. If you're not playing a game where your characters are incompetent, like Paranoia, like yeah, if true. you right, if you come out of a scene and you're or like, <laughs> I feel like our characters are incompetent right now, like they can't seem to do anything. Yeah, that's probably not the desired effect that anyone wants at the table. And if it is, you're a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> Off my soapbox, Chris, mm-hmm. move us forward. Another one is if the players deduce through mechanical means or non-mechanical means that there is a red herring early on, just let them know it's a red herring. Do not like once again, don't be married to your thing. Just, hey, man, they figured it out. Good for them. Just mm-hmm. move it along. Yep. That should actually let them feel accomplished. Absolutely. Yeah, that one goes nowhere. What are you going to do next? Yeah, right? Yeah, or the players are like, no, 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 don't fall for that again. That's got the Mastermind's MO all over it. Yeah. Like, that's a distraction. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you do the cool thing where somebody runs off to do the distraction, but, like, you know, Batman runs off to secretly confront the, you know, aha, they're doing the thing, and then Batman's like, not everybody fell for your trick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, you call the other super team and be like, hey, Go take care of this thing. Right. <laughs> That's funny. Whips some ass. Sometimes a red herring is a red herring, but still manages to give insight to help the players determine where to find a different clue or another mm-hmm. clue. Mm-hmm. I think that's also worth your time to consider and, mm-hmm. and utilize. Yep. Oh, yeah. You don't need that red herring to get the clue, but it can help you find that next clue. I don't really have a good example for that, though. You're going to find out the butler did it, and it turns out that you find evidence that the butler didn't do it, but in doing so, you also realize that the not only isn't the butler not the one, but you might find a way to eliminate another suspect yeah. as well, and therefore narrows down your your range. That makes sense. While following the butler didn't necessarily start you out in that direction. Well, it yeah. couldn't have been the butler, and it couldn't have been the maid because they were schnooking it up in the in the in the closet at that exactly. time. Yeah, in a more modern police procedural kind of thing, your misdirection was some sort of explosive that you disarm while the bad guy did something else, mm-hmm. but. This explosive can only be purchased from, you know, certain underworld figures, which now narrows uh, down yeah. an arms dealer yep. that yeah. probably knows who bought this. Those are know. both yep. excellent examples. Yep. Yeah. Last one I have yep. is it should always be about reliable information that is just misleading. So like Red Herring should never be misleading about the character census. We talked about this a little bit earlier. And the GM should, GM should never be screwing with the player's agency and observation. And that, that is a way to lose your player's trust unless, of course, they are compromised in game by some sort of chemical or sensory thing yeah and by that point they're probably aware of it right they've made a saving throw a check something like that and then in which case we're getting back to this player knowledge character knowledge thing Mm -hmm. where it's like oh i drank a thing and failed my check i don't know exactly what's going on but then it's like oh you see this thing and you know you're like well i gotta follow it i don't have a choice didn't that happen to you recently you got cursed uh yeah <laughs> you wound up killing somebody i failed a, i failed a check and drank the potion and uh and became susceptible susceptible avalon's a dark game so like some amount of player agency can be revoked at times and of course ask your players i think i asked yeah. bob if it was okay. oh yeah we, yeah, like, we were on fine. board with it yeah mm-hmm. yeah and i mean illusions and things like that like there are things again this goes to player versus character knowledge right so if there's an illusion that's creating the red herring and you're like okay make a saving throw and person's like, nope, totally tank that. And you're like, cool, you see this thing. Like, you see a figure run off down the path or ooh, whatever. I chase it. Yeah, ooh, I chase it. Well, the player's like, okay, well, I know this is a red herring. 
like I know it's a red herring and it's going to be pointless. Probably it doesn't have to be pointless, but it might not go anywhere. But my character doesn't. And I failed to check. And that's why, because if I had passed the check, I would have been you would have been like, oh, you see something move past, but there's something suspicious about it. And you're like, oh, it's it's an illusion. Right. And you might still chase it to see where it leads, but it's different. And Mm -hmm. I think, again, at the player level, it might just be okay that that happened, especially if those kinds of things are normal in your game. There's a thing about about saving throws or or checks or or anything where something can affect you mm-hmm. and about how to play that out after the fact that is probably a different kind of subject that we could talk about at sure, some point absolutely. in time. Yeah. That's that's a that's a ding. I one. commend I commend players who fail a role and lean right into the bad decision because to me I think that's like really good like oh my character doesn't know I'm just going to do this bad yeah. thing. There's also the the idea of like who gets to narrate that, right? Yeah. Like depending on the game that you're playing and the and the table culture that you have, like yeah. who gets to decide what's uh what's messed up about this, or if you're playing certain games that allow other people to offer failure states or devil's bargains and things like that. Yeah, I mean those all dance around agency and, but yeah, I think the the point that we're trying to make here is if you start to believe that the GM is not a reliable narrator of your character senses, you will trust nothing ever again. It's true. Yes. While it will seem like it is a cool thing to do in the moment, and if you do, it's not, but the chaos it will create in your game afterwards when players are like touching every object to make sure it's real, they're taking extra turns to look at everything because yeah, they, they feel like they can't trust their own senses. Ugh. This just goes down to like that foundational concept about games. It's like, why are you playing the game? What is your purpose in playing the game? What are you trying to get out of playing the game, both as a game master and a player? If you're not going to buy into the concept of what's going on and the concept that's been described is like, yeah, there will be some illusions and red herrings and things like that here. And you're going to fight back at that every every moment it happens and not play into it as a player. And you're going to obfuscate that stuff as a game master. Then maybe you shouldn't be playing that game because you're not buying into the actual idea of what's going on. Sure. And if you're running it poorly. Right. So if you're running it like if you're running it with checks and you're just like, that's fine. And if you're getting paranoid about it. Part of that would be true, right? If you failed a bunch of checks and you're falling for a lot of illusions, you'll get paranoid. What I think I'm specifically saying is that, like, say there's a game that there's no mind control magic illusion or anything else. And I purposely tell you that your character saw something that wasn't true. Well, that's that's what I mean. Like, when I come down to that foundational thing, it's like, why are we doing this then? Yeah. yeah. As a game master, like, why don't you just tell him, like. Look, you know that you didn't see this. Like, you know as a player that your character didn't see this, but your character saw it. Yes. So you have to decide what you want to do about that. Yeah. And hopefully there's some sort of mechanical impetus into the game that allows you to make that choice. Yeah, I, I, I will never hesitate to do that to a character if there's a check involved. Right? Like, if I'm like, oh, make this check. Oh, no, sorry, Jerry. What you think you see is this. Right. And you're like, well, I failed to check and I think I see this. Okay, I get what's going on here. Now I will play accordingly. I think a lot of this also goes way, way back to the origins of the hobby. Back when you had things like mimics and gold bugs and throat leeches, which were things that were deliberately put into the game by the creators of the of the original of the oldest RPG. But um, Uh, for those who don't remember mimics, of course, we all know about the big GM screw everybody over uh, item, which are usable once. Okay. Gold bugs were items that looked exactly like gold, but if you touch them, save or die. <sighs> Throat leeches what were an asshole monster. Fucking made that. 
Gas. Guy gas, of and course. Then, and then throat leeches were a similar thing that were in liquids. You couldn't see them, and if you drank them, it was save or die. Come on. And so it was basically... It, it created paranoia. You know, go ahead. And, and it encouraged GMs to do this, which is part of what led to the idea of with a lot of GMs that red herrings and misdirection were okay. Build my effigy right now and burn it. Maybe Gygax wasn't oh. always the best GM. Hold on, hold on. I need to. Yeah. I need to know where did these monsters show up the first times? Like what adventures and things like oh, that. Fiend Folio, that kind of stuff. They they were all like in Dragon Magazine and stuff like that. I mean, he might not have written them then. All right, whoever wrote those, like, let, let, let me just say this, those, right? Those people, those, they, those they whoever them. wrote those, those are asshole monsters. They are. First of all, oh, it looks like this. You can't detect it and save versus die. I, I don't know, like a more like, why don't you just fucking drop a rock mm -hmm. on somebody? Exactly. And, I mean, that, we, and those are examples of bad of bad misdirection. We, we are talking about this is tr this is tricky, right? For me, because we are talking about old school playing sure. mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. Now, old school playing, like I take my 10 foot pull out and poke the chest. It might be a mimic then if it's a mimic it probably reacts sure if i'm actually game mastering the way that i should be the gold thing like do i throw some stuff into the gold this pile of gold that is sitting here is there any like context clues for it too like i don't want to just sit here and bash on the old school folks for no reason i'm not bashing on old school folks there are plenty of old school people who run fucking yes. fine games yeah that's just an asshole I'm, monster i'm not that is an asshole monster. i don't even want to like bash on the monsters because the play style of those games assumes that you're not going to just need to make a check to find these things or that you're going to do something to interact with the environment sure so like that is a different play style from what we're talking about and i don't think we sometimes give that enough credit i think as somebody that who is played that play style that is not how a lot most of the groups we played with i and can't help if they don't play the game right <laughs> you well, weren't you weren't expected to like distrust every potion you picked up and if you poked a, a pile of coins it didn't react unless you touched it with bare flesh so let me say uh, this. I mean, your game master will uh, in influence your, place, your, yeah. your play experience. So let me say this, right? In the 80s, there was not an old school play style. Sure, there was a play style. There was just, you played the fucking game well, however you thought it was yes. played. Yeah, come on, there's like a billion play styles. There are, Correct. Yes. And there were plenty of just bad GMs in those days who would take a item like that and fuck you over. By the way, as, as reference of that, Bob, the teleporting frame? Greater door of teleportation. You walk through your body, your flesh, you go this way and end up over there. All your gear, clothing, and everything else goes into a different place. Yeah, man, that's, that's from the Tomb of Horrors, man. And then he hit it with us again later. Sure. Can you detect it? Nope. Can the, you the, save The door doesn't it? even detect as magical? Anyway, are we going to detect diverge. magic on every let's door? Let's not diverge too far. I, I'm, I'm not trying to diverge. I'm not, no, I, I'm not throwing shade on the old school. I have a particular dislike. Or I, if you tell me that the gold bug or whatever, there's something else that you can do to determine. The, my problem with it is gold pieces are fucking ubiquitous. Does the gold bug show up at the pub? Does the gold bug show up the next town I go over to? Because guess what? For now on, when we play the game, yeah. I'm going to ask you 20 questions about every piece of gold we find. If you want that to happen in your game, Put that fucking creature in front of me. Look, look, I'm just, I'm just throwing out there that there are, there are, you have to set things up and then pay them off in the right way. Otherwise it's a dick move. Yeah, but I'm with that, you. That goes with pretty much anything. Yes. Like if I drop you in the middle of an ambush that you had no chance to get out of. Correct. With like 30 people around you with bows and arrows and guns and whatnot. Yes. Still a dick move. Still a it dick doesn't, move. It doesn't matter. That's my point about this stuff. I, I don't understand what the, pay, what the positive payoff is of something like a gold blug or a throat leech. 
I don't get, I don't see the positive payoff. What's on the that? positive payoff of having being ambushed by thirty people? Also, there, not there true. isn't. That's what I'm saying. So that's I, my. I can't think of any design where that's a where, where that is fun for the players. I mean, if there is a, a throat leech in a vial of liquid in an alchemist's lab that's in a tomb somewhere, I could buy that. Like if you can, and if you like drop some drops, like if you start checking these potions out and be able, and, and then and then there's some way to determine, and there should okay. be some way to determine that there's something in there, then. It's just like a trap within these potions that you can pick up. I'm okay with that. Yes. But if you're just like, it's undetectable, and if you take a few drops out, you still can't detect it. The only thing you can do is drink it, and hey, one in every so many of these potions is just probably going to kill you. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's a problem. Anyway, my point is, I was first... Man, this is such an aside. (laughs) First, I was being hyperbolic, so let me just say that. Second of all, I have no beef with the old school, like the OSR. There, I like it's perfectly fine. I have a particular dislike for that kind of creature. I also don't like the rust monster. So if you're mad about me for that, oh as man, well, the rust monster is awful. I don't, yeah, I, I think the rust monster. I will never put a. I will. There are many creatures. I will hit you with a mimic. Will never hit you with a rust monster. I just hate that creature. It just. It's so mean. Yes. It's just, oh that magical sword you loved. <laughs> fucking gone. It's the same as every other thing though. It's like if you don't set it up properly, then. Then nobody had a choice. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's really where I'm at here. I mean, if you get into, like, if you first walk in the cave and, like, scrawled on the wall is, like, beware of the gold. Yeah, right? Right? Well, and I guess, you know, it's set up up for payoff, right? Yes. Soft move, hard move. Correct. Yeah. Like, if you just make the hard move. Set up for payoff is soft move, hard move. Yes. Like, if you just make the hard move blindly without a soft move. And this is a fascinating discussion. I'm a little annoyed. But if, but if you warn me, right? If you soft move it, then it was on me. Yeah, and that's okay. And again, there are people out there that will enjoy that style of play where yeah, it's, it's like, fine. surprise, there was a thing in my potion. Fuck. And you did. Go roll up your, like, roll your henchman up, which is fine. If, that's if a you dig valid it, way. rock on. Remember when you lost your eyes in that DCC adventure? Yes. We all knew it was going to be bad. You failed to save. There were warning signs and shit like that. And then you were like, I'm gonna go grab that stone, and it was like, here we go. And it was fun as hell. Fun as hell, right? And there was what Chris talked about earlier, which was that there was a way to have a check or some knowledge beforehand that the thing that was coming up was coming up. It wasn't just sprung on you out of the blue. Also, there was a payoff because there were things that you could do when you were the eyes, the disassociated eyes. Plus, Percy wasn't the brightest bulb in the. Correct. There was no hope for that (laughs) guy anyway. My point is, is in lieu of a check, there needs to be information. Yes. yes. Soft move, hard move. Okay. Anywho. Anywho, that was a little, sorry. Why are we sorry? Like, I don't know. That's, I just, I just like when I have to be like, oh, I have to be like sort of the voice of po- possible oh, reason no. here. Phil's climbing on his soapbox. I and mean, Jerry's right there behind him. <laughs> I fucking hate mimics. That's fine. Yeah, like, I'm, not, like, I'm not a notebox person either, yeah. so it's fine. Mimic to me is the least offensive although, one. Although I still it think is. the idea of the mimic in the city that pretends to be like door frames and, and window frames and stuff to like hunt to eat yeah. and just murder like serial killer murders people is a fascinating idea. Oh, yeah. sure. And I'll be honest, a mimic in a campaign, not a problem. The toilet mimic. Actually, I'll even do that. There's the one adventure I think where like the house and everything in it are mimics. That's fine. It's one adventure. It's the mimic adventure. But when they start popping up over and over again in games, that's where I'm like, I'm done with mimics. That monster falls into a category where it's like, it's fun when you do it like once and then you got to like cool off and like not do this it again city. For a while. Is a mimic civilization. No. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> it's not. Why are we here? 
don't even understand the ecology of mimics. I think they're just like a magic. Oh, there's a D and D. There's a D article on that. Or a dungeon. There's we, a we should probably route yeah, this come back on. into Let's, the main okay, topic. Back, okay. back to back to mysteries, real quick. Yep. This idea. So, average playgroups are terrible at mysteries. They just don't. Sure. They don't. They're not very good at it. No. So red herrings may not even be necessary because players will just create their own static. They'll just uh, fuck this stuff up themselves. I think that's the danger part, right? Is if you if you have a group that's not good with mysteries and you pepper the field with red herrings, expect them to like spend all the same effort as it is as it takes them to advance the plot as it will to advance the red herring. Yes. Players will grab onto the least <laughs> expected thing and run with it. Like NPCs, you thought this NPC was a five-second throwaway. You didn't even give them a name, and then they latch onto it and it becomes their favorite person they ever. Adopt them, and they will on the jump ship. on anything. As a game master, it is your job to then dissuade them of that idea. I'd be like, "Look, man, that's probably not the right thing." <laughs> or if they follow it for a scene, then like, "Oh, look, it's not the right thing. Go back." Yeah, you come up with a table nomenclature like this is just SG, some guy. <laughs> Jesus, you very quickly realize there's nothing relevant here. Move on. All right, let's let's move to much our, like uh, the end of this episode. Yeah, let's move to our round dining room table. I don't actually own a round dining room or table. square. That's a rectangle. One of those. One of those shapes. Mm -hmm. Parallel. I get what around. you're doing there, though, Jerry. Good job. Thank you. Trapezoid. So, what are some games that do a great job with red herrings? So, I mean, I could talk about Brindlewood Bay, but I in the Brindlewood system stuff. There's not really red herrings there. The, the red herrings are the clues that you don't use to solve a mystery. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's fair. So like, Which I think is actually a great way to use yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. I think that's a pretty solid thought about the red herring. Like, oh, yeah, those clues didn't matter because they were just red herrings. There are no bad clues, but some clues go nowhere. Yeah, there are no bad clues. There are no bad clues, but some clues mm -hmm. go nowhere. In, in Car from Brindlewood Games, there yes, are yep. no bad clues, mm -hmm. but some clues go nowhere. Yeah, there are times where you finish out a mystery and there's like five or six clues and you're like, yeah, we didn't need these. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So Gumshoe, let's talk about Gumshoe for a second. I think when it comes to the trail of clues, Red herrings are just dumb. Like, just don't use them. Yeah, you don't need them. But when it comes to the ocean of clues, that's yes. a, that's, I believe uh, Ken Height coined that term potentially. Yep. Mm -hmm. You can have red herrings. It's fine because if that does dead ends, you just go back and then go down a different path because you right. have an ocean of these clues to, to pick from. No harm done. Just follow all the rules that we talked about earlier. Yep. Those are the two games that I can think of. Anybody else have any other games? I don't know. I mean, you can use them in other games, but I mean... Brindlewood and Gumshoe are mystery games. Well, concept yeah. of Ocean of Clues yeah. can be used anywhere. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Parlor mystery that works because technically everything's a red herring that isn't being used. Yeah, you're just and, narrowing and, and it down. And actually, in a parlor mystery, the goal is you're supposed to play a game of process of elimination. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So you actually need those red herrings because they often let you cross somebody off a list. Whereas, like in a Gumshoe game, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed like supposed to in a typical gumshoe game you find a clue that leads to a clue that leads to a thing that eventually uh informs you what action you should take you should take and for that sure red herrings are fine they're like little diet like little diversions or whatever from that but you're like you actually don't need them because the you still can just go clue to clue to clue and get to the action part because that's really the crux of the gumshoe game is collect information to take an action take action to discover new things to lead to the next mystery when it comes to gumshoe games i'm now pondering some thoughts in my head about mm -hmm. this idea between the parlor mystery which is basically process of elimination versus the gumshoe game which is get clue go to next thing yeah it's interesting when there is a moment where it's all about 
process of elimination within the trail. It's branching design or almost like linear design with bubbles. Like, cool, we found this clue. It moves us to this action. We find this next set of clues, but we have to eliminate whichever ones are there to get to the right clue to move on to the next action to go to the next clue. Sure. Like in the, in the conspiramid and the vampiramid, you might not know if the target is on the same level mm-hmm. or the next tier. That's yeah, that, that, that's that, an interesting thought of information too. Right. Cause that's a process of elimination. Like is guy B pulling guys A's strings or are they both having their strings pulled by C who's a higher tier on the pyramid? Because you might be trying to make a beeline up the pyramid and you're like, you know what? I'm not even interested in dealing with the money launder guy because he's he's no better than the arms dealer guy in mm-hmm. terms of what we currently know. Or you get to the point where like, well, one of these people, this, these business folk or whatever are a vampire, but we have to eliminate which ones they are. Two of these folk may oh, be Renfield and one of them is the actual vampire. So then we're process of eliminating that, but it's still yeah. dangerous. Oh man, that, that's so interesting. This idea of like you can now combine these two things like this this trail of clues plus this process of a lineage mystery style mm-hmm. to get some interesting, interesting spaces. Yeah. Which again is still in the gumshoe framework of collect information to take action, which then you can apply to other games because yep. it's not system based. Oh no, no, there's nothing. I mean, gumshoe just has a system that helps that, but it's not like it invented that loop of play. Uh, now I will ask the last question that we have, which are, what are some of the red herrings that have been used well in games that you've GM or played and Boy, could I not think of any because I don't hmm. use them. Uh, there's a Pathfinder adventure uh, called Hangman's Noose that does a good job. It's a process of elimination that mm-hmm. has a few red herrings in it. But because it's basically a parlor mystery, the red herrings do end up leading you in some directions. Well, in any parlor mystery, as soon as you eliminate somebody, it leads you to it focuses it down. Yes. Right? There are also some red herrings that end up pointing you to a different clue, which is what we talked about earlier. You're chasing the wrong clue, but when you get to the end of it, realizing that that's a red herring also tells you that there's another clue you should be going after and which one it is. My problem is, is the, the majority of mystery mm-hmm. games that I've played are either honestly car from renewable games is yeah. you know, public access is like the only mystery campaign, mystery styled campaign that I've ever run. And I, I run uh, some nights, black agents, but I mean, it's trail of clues for me. Usually like it's just find a clue, take an action, find a clue, take yeah. an action. So I didn't have any red herrings. I, I never really wrote one with red herrings intended, right? Sometimes red herrings occur when players get the wrong idea. Yes. And then I tie them off after after mm-hmm. a scene. Yeah. Be like, cool, let me just get this scene out of the way so that they can realize that they have to go back and do the other thing. Exactly. And I think the key thing is, how do you tie that off as a GM? Sure. To make it so that the players don't feel like, well, that was completely unsatisfying. Well, like we didn't get anywhere with that. Good thing we have all those things that we all talked those things about. we talked about. Like I thought of something earlier where like, okay, you go down, you, you're following this clue. It totally dead ends. It's not leading you anywhere towards the mastermind that you're trying to track down. Mm-hmm. But there's an interesting factoid there that maybe ties into one of the characters backstories. Now, all of a sudden you've got something that's part of the overall campaign. Yeah, yep. man. Like I've done that stuff mm-hmm. like with, with a mastermind in the background doing stuff and then, you know, causing jobs and, and, and having other things going on. Like my Eberron campaign, like Merrick's does shit like that all the time. in some of the games that I've run mm-hmm. Merrick's to Kenneth, yeah. like he's always got stuff going on in the background and causing and doing jobs over here and over here that, that feel like red herrings, even though you're progressing the plot, right? Like yeah. it's not getting you towards where you wanted to go, but it's like, Oh, he's doing, 
He's got a group that's doing another thing over here that we're going to have to look into later because mm-hmm. that could be bad. I have to say, I've told a bit of this story before. I actually had a time when the players created their own red herrings yeah, yeah. in a mystery that did not exist where yes. they were supposed to be going from point A to point B. And I went to the bathroom and came back and found out they created a murder board on our play mat, connecting a bunch of unrelated crimes to each other and then tracing them back to the wrong villain. I mean, it's time to retrofit your game at that moment. You're like, well, okay. <laughs> I guess we have a mystery now. I know, right? I <laughs> feel uh, like I don't want to let you guys down. My- then, well, they, I let them track down the villain, figure out it wasn't him, and then then get some clues from him with the actual thing. Oh, there you go. But, okay, that's but, worthwhile. But, but literally, like, I came back from a long bathroom break to find them with, they'd actually t- dug up my bag of counters so they could put the little standees for all the villains that were connected to each other, and that night, it was... It was and they were so proud of themselves, yes, too, I'm I sure. Was, like, yeah. oh, look at I this. Was, I was, See, yeah. we figured this all out. We connected this all together, right? I was, I was impressed and... And uh, and horrified at the same time. Oh, no. I, <laughs> I, I, I play so many of those games were played so off the cuff as it was. It was fine. But I just, it was fun to watch my players create their own red herrings. One last final thing before we close this out. There are definitely cases where players will think they've encountered a red herring, where they just don't have enough information to know that it's actually something connected to something larger, Mm -hmm. right? So they will feel frustrated. And sometimes I will say to players, and I think I've said it to you guys, like there is something bigger here. Like what you're seeing is real. No, it doesn't make any sense. And like, there is more information that is needed to make, to to turn this into something that will make sense. That's a good, that's a good tip right there for how to handle that. I'm a big onion mystery guy. Like the the mystery is like, like the cam cry? the campaign framework of like peeling back the layers till you get to the center. You know, it's like a it's like a troll. Cakes have layers. Cakes. An ogre. I'm sorry. An ogre. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, with that, we were going to get out of here. Thank you for listening to Misdirected Mark. We will talk to you all next week. Bye. Peace out. Bye. Thank you for listening to Misdirected Mark plays. Now let's do some Patreon shoutouts before we get out of here. Let's start with the Royal Court. The Polish Ogre, who is our very own Polish Ogre, Ty Prunty, also known as Lord Timeonger, Lars Henrik Evjan, the Lord Out of Time, Jim, the Royal Merchant Emeritus, Chromatic Chameleon, the Queen's Spy Mistress, J.T. Evans, the Queen's Librarian, Schmitty, the Keeper of the Labyrinth, Andrew Dacey, the Warden of Whiskies, John Carney, the Court Necromancer, Craig, the Lord of One Name, Tiberius Starcrash Smith, the Baron of Britannia, Eric Bontz, the Weregator, and Kevin Lovecraft, the Royal Beard. Now, we have a bunch of other patrons that get a shout-out here, too. Thank you so much. John, Chris Constantine, Miko Froelich, Eric Simon, Athelus, Not That Billy Mitchell, Fiona, Kathleen Halperin, Christopher Gamelk, Michael Beck Esperum, Joseph Knoll, Carlos Heptilemma, Michael Draper, Alice Kira, Jim Fitzpatrick, Brantley Harris, Steve Radabaugh, Rory McLeod, Ninjabi, Richard Wyatt, Joseph Peralta, Brian Kurtz, My Brett, not My Brett, but somebody's Brett, Chris Steele, Jared Rasher, Eileen Barnes, and Brandon Barnes. Thank you so much for being our patrons. If you'd like more content like this, you can check it out at misdirectedmark.com. If you are interested in supporting the show and other shows on Misdirected Mark Productions, you can go to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash MMP. You can get a whole bunch of stuff there, including extra bonus podcast episodes, material concerning this game, The Children of the Shroud, that includes character sheets, our game rules, some of our setting stuff, and Phil's thoughts from behind the screen. If that's not your thing, then you can just tell a friend about us. We'd greatly appreciate it. If you're looking for other podcasts to listen to, there are a variety of shows on our network. 
You can check out Pandas Talking Games with Phil and Sunda, where they talk about all kinds of game stuff. The Gnomecast, where a bunch of gnomes get together to talk about gaming topics to avoid being thrown in the stew. And Thaco with Advantage, where Ange and Jared talk all about D&D. They're going to talk about it anyway, so why not record it? If that's still not enough content for you, we have a number of other podcasts that we recommend and are friends with. The Tabletop Bellhop, your board game concierge. The Knights of the Night, an excellent AP podcast. Mastering Dungeons, where they talk all about D&D if you want some more D&D stuff. And How to RPG with Sean P. Kelly. You can catch that on YouTube. He's live on Saturday mornings. I'm often in the chat room there. Well, this has been a Misdirected Mark production. The media arm of Encoded Designs. Mic drop. We out.